Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. I'm so excited about being here today and being able to share with you. I bring you uh, just immeasurable greetings from the Center of Transformation, which is the parent uh, to New Life Fellowship International Ministries, where I've had the opportunity to pastor for the past 25 years. And uh, just amazing, amazing opportunities to do the work of God, uh, not just nationally, but internationally, uh, uh, and just, uh, just passionate about uh, that our God is alive. He's not dead. Our God is alive. And and uh, most represented through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's just, I'm just excited about being here today. I'm wide awake. I'm wide awake. I'm wired. And I've not even had coffee yet. So if you ever hang out with me and I have coffee, it's even a more exciting journey. So I am wide awake. Uh, and I've not had coffee. And I'm wide awake. And I've not had... Usually when I'm in other churches and I say I've not had coffee, somebody rushes coffee to me to the stage. But I guess that didn't happen here at Seven Run, huh? Mm. Okay, I have to talk to Dr. Drew about that. But uh, he's a great, great friend. I've known him ever since he was installed pastor here at Severn Run uh, when it was in the former days of Severn Baptist. And I've had opportunity to watch uh, throughout the years as uh, you transform literally our community and, and, uh, and the surrounding, uh, surrounding areas. And it's just been just amazing to watch the, the exponential growth and the impact that Dr. Drew has had on our community, not only as a pastor and sh- a shepherd of people, but a leader of men. And, uh, and so I just, I really appreciate his friendship more than he can ever know. I'm so thankful for my lovely bride of 33 years. Uh, we've been married 33 years, 33, 33 years, 33 years, 30, 33 years. There, I was, I was having a side note with my, 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 my assistant and I was, I was saying, why is it that the longer you get married, the more possessive people become? I don't understand. When we got married 33 years ago, we didn't have nothing. And whatever it was hers was mine, and whatever was mine was hers. And it seemed like the longer we get married, why you drive my car and the gas out? Like, when did it become? I've always thought when we got married, what's yours is mine, what's mine, you know, it's my my sink, my side of the bed. I don't, I don't. When did it become so? You're so possessive. The longer we get married, you know, we'll go on vacation and we'll go in the hotel room, and I'll ask her. I said, well, what side of the bed do you want to sleep on? She said, whatever side I lay my head on. So I'm like, oh my gosh, she's just so possessive. The longer we get married. And I just understand. And uh, the, her sink is hers, the t- you know, and that's all this kind of stuff. So anyway, I've just learned to give it to her, let her have it. And, uh, and uh, I've been happy for it, you know. I shredded, I did shred the bumper sticker that said, happy wife, happy life, because that's just a lie. So I just shredded the bumper sticker because it's not true. But anyway, 33 years, and we have some beautiful grown children. And uh, we have, we don't have any grandchildren yet. We have a grand dog. And so we just, we're just feeling that that's the test for grandchildren, because we got a, a Russell Terror, and he's like a terror. So we are just really having a great time. But I just, I just love and, and passionate about my family and always love seeing families come together. So anyway, you didn't bring me here to hear about that. You came to hear a message. So let me give it to you out of the gospel of Mark chapter two. And the gospel of Mark chapter two, beginning with the 24th verse, uh, has these words that's recorded. Uh, uh, the Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Uh, In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, 
And he also gave some to his companions. And the 27th verse says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. And uh, I have uh, been traveling the country and, uh, and I've been reminding people that every Sunday in pulpits across the nation and essentially around the world, pastors, preachers, teachers have the, the large task of take, taking an ancient text and reminding you of how relevant it is in postmodern times. The challenge to always remind you that while this might be as assembled over 2,000 years old, that it is still relevant for our life today. And so we have to do that every week in pulpits everywhere. We have to get you to the place where you still see that this is relevant, that you see this more than just Jonah and the well, that you see this for more than just, you know, David and conquering the, the Goliath or more than just Daniel in the lion's den, that you see it more than just the Genesis creation story and Abraham and, and, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that you see it more than just Ruth and Esther, just more than words just printed on the page, that this Bible is still just as relevant for your life today. And it is our challenge every week to make that happen. And then once we get you to the place where you can accept that it is relevant, then we have to breathe revelation into it. So all of a sudden, now we got to take a familiar story, and then we got to breathe fresh life into it so that you can make the connection. And then when we successfully get you to the place where you identify its relevance, you, ex- you receive the revelation, then we have to get you into a relationship with it. So it just becomes more than just a Bible study or just a devotional time that you have in the morning, but that you have a relationship with it. And so, uh, for I've been a Christian for about 34 years now, a little bit more than 34 years, and uh, I'm just saying this in context, not to sort of, you know, uh, brag or anything like that, but just sort of the context of where I'm going. So, I've been a Christian for about 34 years now. I've been an ordained preacher for 31 years. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've been a bishop in the church uh, for over eight years. I've got two advanced degrees with a doctorate in theology, and in this season of this life where I find myself, Um, God has taken me on a journey to sort of drill down through the layers of all that theology and all of that doctrine and get to the backstory of our faith. Essentially stripping away all of those layers upon layers upon layers that we navigate our way through, layers and layers and layers upon some experience that we find ourselves confronted with and getting down to the core essence of what we really are here for in the name of Christ. What is the backstory? And so that's what I hope to, to present to you today, what the, the backstory is. And maybe the story would be familiar to you. And if it is, embrace it for the first time. I've challenged uh, our congregation there that through the summer, go through reading the Gospels again and, and see them with a fresh lens. Get a new prescription and see it in a different way, from a different perspective, in a way that God helps reset what you think the text says and really receive afresh what God wants to minister to you through the text. And so, and so I want to drill down and get to what I believe is the backstory of the gospel. What, what is this all about? 
you know, and, and, it, and it came to, down to two questions because in our world, we're filled with anxiety. I mean, anxiety everywhere. There's every reason to be overly anxious. And then not only is our world filled with chaos and filled with heartache and filled with fears and have all kinds of failures. I mean, we are confronted with calamity and, you know, just things that are just un, unstable, inconsistent, issues to the left, issues to the right. I mentioned in the, in the first service uh, that uh, at the age that I'm in, I'm, I'm taking, you know, you know, pills for a heart, you know, and I just never knew that there were so many pills to take. And then I was kind of do some research. And then when you watch any length of TV, every other commercial is a pill commercial. And so that's just a pill for everything. And they, they're just promoting a pill to get up in the morning and a pill to go to bed and a pill to stay up between getting up and going to bed, a pill to eat, a pill to keep it down when you eat, a pill to make it come out after you eat, you know, a pill to make you laugh, a pill to make you cry, a pill to, to kind of squash the side effects that there's going to happen. So they tell you, I'm going to tell you what, we're going to fix your heart, but it may cause bloating and side effects and you'll turn dark and your foot will turn left and your head will turn right and your teeth will turn yellow, but you won't have heart problems anymore. And that's just pills of everything. And they're all sizes. I mean, you know, purple and blue and pink and beige and white and capsules and, you know, take half and portion. And that's just pills everywhere. And I'm like, ah, da, 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 just pills. And then we're doing everything to stay alive. So we're getting tucks and nips and do I, can I say that here? Tucks and nips and, you know, and, you know, stuff in the cheeks and in the arms and, you know, men, I didn't know men could have stuff put in their chest to make it look like they work out in the gym. What, who have heard of such a thing? Just everybody just trying to do something to look young. I mean, you know, and you get stuff in your thighs and make them look like Arnold Schwarzenegger day. So you're just walking around all swole, like what gym you go to? No gym, you know? And so you can just go through all of that and this stuff. So the world's just filled with everything, trying to define your self-esteem, your beauty, your value and all this kind of stuff. So it led me to ask the question as I investigated the backstory is, why would God ever want to become one of us? Why? Given the mess that we are, why would he ever want to become one of us? And I asked another question, why did Jesus come to us to be like us, living among us? Because the Bible says that he became us. John 1 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so he came. Why did Jesus come? That's, that's just, just nail it. Let's get, let's get past all the denominational nuances in the ways. Let's get past all of the, deno, the, the doctrinal bents and the theological theses and systematic theology treaties and things like that. Let's just put all that aside and get to the real heart of the matter. Why did Jesus come? Did he come because he favored one denomination over another? Did he come because he favored one church over another? Did he come because one church had purple and the other one had red? Did he come because the stage is bigger or the pulpit is wider? Or what, what did he come for? Well, I believe that his main purpose wasn't come so that we could have better buildings. He came so that he can communicate the heart of God. That's why Jesus came. He came so that he can communicate not only the heart of God, but to remind us of what God is like and what God is interested in. Because of all the layers of life, we can forget what God is like. It can get lost in the mundaneness of life and all of this stuff, and we can forget. But John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. In fact, it was told in John chapter 19 when the disciples had come across this blind man uh, while they were with Jesus, they inquired of Jesus, who sinned? And they didn't want to know. Who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And I don't, got, I don't have time to get into all the, the, the backstory of that, but Jesus simply said to them, nobody sinned. This was done so that the works of God should be revealed. So the function for Christ's coming is so that it would reveal the work of God in the earth. 
that, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. You know why we're all gathered here? Why you gather here week after week? You're gathered here week after week with a strategic purpose of revealing the work of God. Revealing his heart, revealing what he's passionate about. You know what? I think, I, listen, I have been, I have been, I have traveled this nation. And I have traveled on several continents preaching the gospel in over 300 churches, across 15 denominations over the past 25 years. And the one thing that I have come to, conclu- uh, to the conclusion that church folks sometimes are some of the saddest people I've ever met. I don't understand it. Before you came to God, you was just dancing and doing some of everything. I mean, I just, and then I go into church and people are sad and they sit like this and they sit like this and they sit like this and they like this and they look at the clock and you know, and I got a talk back there, it's ticking down, you know, and so we just, some of the saddest people that I ever met before. See, I'm, I'm seeing sad faces now. <laughs> and I'm seeing sad faces over here. I mean, it's just some of the saddest faces ever when we should be some of the happiest people because we got access to the most powerful God on the planet. There's no reason why we should not know that there's somebody who is our strength and our hope. So he comes to remind us of what God is like. And why did he come? Not only did he come to remind us what God was like, but he also came to elevate the dignity of every individual. God came to remind us that every individual is important, that no one person has it over any other person because all of us have been wounded and all of us are jacked up. And the truth be told, everybody got stuff in their closet they're going to take to the grave with them. Amen, right? Okay, you ain't talking to me. Talk to this side over here. Everybody got something in their closet they're going to take to the grave with them. Amen, right? Y'all ain't working with me either. Let me go over here. Everybody got something in their closet they're going to take to the grave with them. And you know the reason why you need to, oh, there it is right there. I knew I was going to have it. Let me just talk to you right here. She'll get it all and then distribute it to y'all later. But, but you know the reason why you need to get on God's side? You don't want to know why? You want to know why? Because he's the best secret keeper on the planet. That's the reason why you want to connect with God, because he don't tell no secrets. Because if your story was ever made for TV, wouldn't nobody be able to watch it? They wouldn't even have a rating for it yet. It would be beyond the rating that they even have, because they'd be like, oh my God. Listen, if people knew what you knew about you and what you did, we'd all be disqualified. Come on, somebody. We'd all be, every last one of us be disqualified. That's why I love God, because he don't keep secrets. I mean, he does keep secrets. (laughs) He came to communicate God to us. And not only he came to communicate God with us, he came to elevate the dignity of every human being. But third, and finally, in the minutes that I have, I want you to know, you know why Christ came? He came to put religion in his place. That's why he came, not only to communicate who God is, and not only to elevate the dignity of every individual, but he came to put religion in place, in its place, because when religion takes first place, it flexes muscles at the expense of mercy. In this life, real life, you know what real life? Real life things are messy, amen. Relationships are messy. I met, I met a couple who had been married like 30 years, and I said, you know, can you share some of your life struggles with my wife and I so that we'll know how to navigate the muddy waters of relationship and things like this? And it was like, we ain't never had no problem. I said, that's a mess right there because you're lying. Everybody got problems. I mean, he looked at me straight face. We ain't, my wife and I ain't never had an argument before, dude. You need to be at the altar every Sunday till that spirit of lying is broken over you. 
somebody ain't never had no problem. Everybody got to fight. And then I just realized doing some diagnosis as a certified personal behavior per specialist, uh, I just realized that he's just a passive aggressor. Though they was having fights, he was just hitting and just hiding his hand. So everybody got problems. This world is full of mess and trouble and nothing is ever the way it seems and stuff don't always happen the way it's but Can I get a witness in here that stuff don't always go the way you want it? Am I, am I right? Stuff don't always go. Kids don't always behave the way they should. Husbands don't always get the memo. You know, I'm always being told by my wife, you know what? I'm the Holy Ghost in your life and I don't understand why you don't hear it. I'm the Holy Ghost. Why don't you hear me? I said, because the Holy Ghost is a whisper and you talking too loud. <laughs> maybe if you whisper that, if you turn that thing down a little bit, maybe it'd be something I can hear. And you know why that the millennials are leaving church in droves? Millennials are leaving church in droves. They're checking more and more the box of nuns, meaning non-affiliated. You know why? Because the Sunday school lesson they got when they were young in school don't match the crisis they face in the real world. They got the felt of Jonah in the well, but the felt don't help them overcome the situations they run into in the real world. And until we make sure that people's faith grow up and match what they are facing, they'll never stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You know, we got to get to the reality that we got to stop lying about our issues and get to the place where you just straight up say, you know what? I wasn't born with a Bible in my hand and a silver tongue in my mouth. I came into this world. I went through some stuff, but thank God for the redemptive power of Jesus Christ that is able to put me on my feet and give me a brand new direction. We serve a God who gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances and seventh chances and eighth chances, ninth chances and tenth chances and eleventh chances and twelfth chances and gazillion chances. Not to expense of you just sinning and thinking you could get away with anything, but grace that says you can make a U-turn. And what I love about the grace of God is when I'm on the New Jersey turnpike and I'm thinking that I can get to the next exit before I run out of gas because I didn't stop to get gas when I should have. And then I got to use the bathroom and I know that it's going to be like 20 miles. I make an illegal U-turn to get back to where I was. Grace sometimes allowed me to make a legal U-turn. I'm going to make it, baby, because this is an emergency and I got to get back to where I need to go. We got to be honest and upfront because let me tell you what religion does. When religion is in the forefront, leaders become self-righteous and church members become hypocrites. You ever wonder why people say, I don't want to go to the church because people are hypocrites. And you're like, there ain't no hypocrites there. And they know you're lying because they see your work ethic. I told people in my church, when you get arrested, don't ever tell them you know Bishop Abraham Shanklin Jr. <laughs> Don't tell them you know me. Don't, don't mention my name. Just, just say, like call somebody who calls somebody who calls somebody. And I'll be sitting off saying, do you know somebody is in jail? Well, who knows? Somebody who told somebody, good, he didn't call me. Thank God. We got to be serious about who we are and what we're going through and be okay with the fact that God's redemption is stamped on you because if there's nothing wrong with you, you not necessarily needed in the body of Christ. Jesus consistently prioritized people over traditions and customs. And so when they confronted him about this issue of celebrating the Sabbath, Jesus made it clear to them, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for men. He was printing it out here to all of us, as I tell you as a, as a, a seminary-trained black Baptist preacher, I just tell you this. At the end of the day, your customs do not matter when it comes to the cause of Christ who came to bring us the heart of God. 
The traditions have no value over the worth and the weight of human beings. Because at the end of the day, when we stand before God, all we will have is the values that he's deposited into us. Not the building that you attended or the program that you were part of. And so when they confronted him, in fact, there's a scripture that, uh, that's not in the Bible. It's a scripture, but it's not in the Bible. You want to know what it says? It's not in the Bible, but it's a scripture. For God so loved the nation of Israel that he delivered them from Egypt and then provided them with laws to live by. That's not in the Bible. He did not deliver them to laws. He delivered them to freedom. So if you're in bondage, then guess what? You're not experiencing what God intended for you to experience. He didn't go through great lengths to get you free so you can be in bondage again. I, I was convicted the other day. I was convicted um, because I used to tell my kids when they were growing up, I said, you know the reason why we had kids is so y'all can take the trash out. <laughs> yes. See, y'all laughing because some of y'all told your kids the same thing. <laughs> That's why we have kids, so we can take the trash out. So when my wife come and say, Bishop, can you take the trash out? I'll be like, uh, Jared, take the trash out. That's why we had you. I don't know why we got to take the trash out. That's why we had you, so you can take the trash out. She come and say, can you clean the dishes? Uh, Karis, clean the dishes. We had you to do dishes. And all of a sudden, I got convicted because then they started getting a complex. And they were like, oh, Dad, we're only here to take the trash out and clean the dishes. No, Dad didn't mean that. And they were like, yeah, I did. You know, take the trash out. People don't have children just to pick up toys. You have children because of the relationship you have with them. And anytime your value supersedes the worth in your children, then your value is wrong. You can't hold so tight to something that is a belief to you, to the sacrifice of human beings, because Jesus came to fulfill a law that they held knuckle tight to let them know the law is not here to make you law keepers. The law is here to remind you of the propensity that you have not to treat people the way God wants us to treat people. The law is to remind us that we have the capacity to be mean to people and disrespectful and unforgiving and frustrated. That's what the function of the law. The function of the law wasn't to make you religious or to make you righteous. The function of the law was to remind you got something going on in your heart and people pay the price when you don't fix it. People are impacted when you don't do that self-examination to make sure you're in the right place to be the best husband, the best wife, the best son, the best daughter, the best co-worker, the best employee. When your heart is not right, people pay the price. And the law is not for you to weaponize to, you, to judge somebody else. The law to be a mirror reflecting what's going on in you. So when you don't have it right, then can you imagine who's paying the price because you're broken? So they weaponized the law and the word to go against. And I get sick and tired of churches using the scripture to promote what God is against rather than what God is for. We got to be in this generation where it's not what God is against because I tell people God can defend himself. He don't need anybody fighting for him. God can fight. If your God has to be defended by you, we all in trouble. Amen, somebody. I just offended somebody over here. Let me talk to my group over here. I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, God can fight for himself. He can defend himself. What we need to do is get to the place where we recognize what they, when Jesus was confronted with what is the greatest commandment, they, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, strength. Great. He says, ah, but the second one is like this as they turned to walk away thinking that all they had to do was the one. He said, the second is like this. You got to love your neighbor. Well, they knew both of those commandments because both of them are in the law of Moses. But what they had managed to do over centuries was to separate the two. Jesus brought them back together. 
and the evidence of God in your life is the presence of how you treat your neighbor. You don't ever have to come to church on Sunday and say, the presence of the Lord is here because I feel it. It's not a feeling that he's present. It is the visible evidence he's present by you seeing each other and how y'all sitting next to each other. You know God is present because of the person sitting next to you. Because First John says the evidence that God is present, who's invisible, is by the people who are present that's visible. So God is most visible by people who are present in the sanctuary. So every time you come, you don't need worship to tell you God is present. The moment your eyes lay on somebody that you haven't seen since last week, God God is present because the God that's in you connects with the God that's in me. And when the gods come together, we can have a great time and we elicit the worship. We just helping the band do their thing. We're all together in this. We all. And so if you want to know God is present, go ahead and look to your left right now. That's the presence of God. That person has created an image of God. Now, now some of you are not giving me a good reflection of the image of God because you don't seem very happy. So come to the altar, have prayer, let's change your frown into a smile. At the end of the day, God is present in the room, not because they sang. God is present in the room because the people are in the room. A diversity, a diverse group of people from all walks of life who come together with one common goal in mind, and that is to unite our hearts through the love of God by the presence of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So if you, come on somebody, yes, by Jesus alone. So. If you are a fence sitter, get off the fence because Jesus is it. He's about the best you're going to get in this life. So get off the fence. And, if you, and, and listen, get off the fence. Go and make a decision and lead your family the way you should. And that is the response to the wives who paid me, who brought their husbands today and was hoping that I would encourage their husbands to get off the fence. Join the church, man. Because Jesus it truly is the only way, and I believe he is what he is, not because the Bible tells me so, but because he did it and the Bible wrote about it. That's why I know that we got the right thing. And you know God because you love your neighbor, and when you love your neighbor, you know God. You can't go wrong with that. If I had a mic, I'd drop it. Give glory to God who is worthy to be praised. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big. Believe big.